All right. We are working through First uh, Timothy with a couple of goals in mind today. Um, first is that uh, we are feeling as elders led by the Lord to begin to consider uh, more elders for the church. And so First Timothy covers a lot of the requirements of elders. Actually, chapter 3, which we're going to get into today, uh, is where in First Timothy are a lot of the qualifications of elders or overseers for the church. And so we're going to... Um, we're diving in for that reason. So, everybody with me? Say, oh, yeah. Awake already? Everybody plugged in? All right, here we go. So, I want you to stay on task with me about what we're doing. Um, these messages uh, definitely are to help you to understand what an elder is. And, uh, and then, consequently, through prayer and seeking the Holy Spirit, uh, to ask the question, are the, the men that, uh, are there men in our church uh, that we believe uh, are ready to be moving towards these qualifications, and we'll talk about them, but that fit the description and, and uh, men that we trust to be leaders. Uh, so some of the things that we've talked about that definitely has to be true about a, an elder is that they need to be trustworthy. I need to be able to walk out uh, uh, and go to plant another church and be able to say, I can entrust this ministry to you. I can entrust it to you and believe that you're going to not only keep yourselves on task, but you're going to be trustworthy to, uh, to keep the message uh, pure and not fall into false doctrine or allow uh, the church to fall into false doctrine or the next pastor or whoever to uh, move the church in a different direction than God has us going. I need to be able to entrust you or the leadership needs to be able to entrust you to also be uh, communicating to the church not to fall into those kinds of, uh, of errors in teaching. And so you have responsibility over the flock, which is one of the terms that's used for elders in Scripture as a shepherd. Uh, uh, pastor or shepherd is a term that you're more, pastors more, you're more familiar with, but all the, that word comes from the term shepherd. And so just like when, when, uh, when Jesus told Peter, do you love me? Then there's, there's a goal, feed my sheep. He was entrusting to Peter the responsibility of feeding the sheep, taking care of the sheep, making sure that they were getting the word in, in the way that it's supposed to be taught. So those are some of the things that we talked about. And, and, uh, and then we just talked about some of the tasks that are involved in that. But that all of those tasks are really grounded in a man who prays, who's a praying man. First of all, is, is going to God and saying, God, what do I do? And seeking God and dependent upon God in a posture uh, with hands raised, and, uh, or at least representatively, whose hands are raised saying, uh, I have nothing to offer, and I am totally dependent upon you. I surrender this church to you. I surrender these people to you. I surrender this ministry to you. And so, God, you do this work. I need you to do it. And if I do it, I'm messing it up, which we'll talk about some more continually through this process. Because that was the problem in the church at Ephesus. There were people who were trying to be in control, make the church look like it did in the past before Jesus uh, came and, and died and, is, and was resurrected. So a message that's not consistent with the gospel, the good news, the truth, uh, which we'll talk about today. 
Uh, just the, Paul says, that's all I preach. Just preach the truth. Protect that. Don't let anything else interfere with that. And so be a praying person. Be, these men need to be praying men who are seeking God and dependent upon God and who don't, uh, who don't necessarily, uh, well, in more cases than not, we were talking about this morning before church, uh, we, were, we were reading through Jeremiah. I just started today, and Jeremiah was a prophet who said, uh, you know, God told Jeremiah, he says, don't let, him, don't let the fact that you're young stop you. He said, matter of fact, that's good. You're young, but I'm fixing to call you and empower you to speak and give a word of correction to kings and priests. Spiritual leaders are going to get a word from you, teenage Jeremiah, about about what to do. My word is going to be spoken by you to give direction to priests. So don't let anybody look down on that. That's a good thing, being poor, being young. Uh, and, and we have a relatively young church. Uh, so don't let anybody look, look at you and say, no, you're not prepared. You are. But, but uh, so today we're going to continue to move forward with that. Now we're going to get into chapter 3, which deals with the qualifications of elders. But there's some preliminary work we have to do today in that. But also the second goal is not only to, to understand what an elder is or should be and needs to be moving toward and how we're supposed to look at how we're supposed to select elders, and uh, but uh, and and for you also, men who aspire to be elders, to recognize your responsibility. But also, these requirements or qualifications are not listed in Scripture as a qualification for an elder, particularly. This is what a good Christian does. This is a, a good Christian. This is what a follower, a good follower of Christ, does. There is no such thing as a good Christian. We're all bad, right, other than Christ in us. But this is what a good follower of Christ does. He is a, uh, these are characteristics of someone who is, who is actively pursuing God, who is on fire for, for God and moving towards be, you know, becoming all that God would have him to become in the world. This is a, this is a person, male, female, uh, young, old, who is pursuing with everything that they have. Uh, the heart of God. This is what it looks like. So when we read today, these are things that always apply to us. Don't disqualify yourselves as you think, oh, okay, I'm glad the elders have to do that, and I don't. Wrong answer. Wrong answer. Even wrong attitude, really, more than wrong answer. Man, our attitude needs to be a heart that loves the Lord and is pursuing God. And we'll talk some about that today because that's that's really where he goes in chapter 3. When he starts talking about these qualifications, he's really talking about uh, those qualifications with a specific purpose in mind that he also identifies in chapter 3. So let's go through some of this today, um, and, and then we'll uh, make application to our lives and then move, move on for the rest of the week, okay? Everybody ready? Say, oh, yeah. All right, chapter 3. Uh, let's first read verses 1 through 7. This will be the focal passage here for the next few weeks. Uh, well, I'll be gone for one week, but, the, you know, the next few weeks as we meet together, uh, we'll be talking about, qualifications or what 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 is expected of someone who aspires to be in the position of elder or overseer all right verse one the saying this saying is trustworthy uh, if anyone is, aspires to the office of overseer he he desires a noble task therefore an overseer must be above reproach a husband of one wife sober-minded self-controlled respectable hospitable able to teach not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, 
not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for, the, for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. All right, so let's stop there for a minute. I know as we go through that with the, with the introduction, if you are awake when I gave the introduction, you're thinking, okay, who, you probably just disqualified yourself. All right, because these things, are there, who in the world, uh, literally, has these kind of qualifications? All right, but as we go through these, as we, as we work our way through that list and through um, all these things that, uh, that an overseer must be uh, in, in regard to being above reproach, we'll, you'll see how all that fits in and re- how it's really about the heart uh, and, and the actions tied together. All right, but first of all, let's look at why Paul's writing to the elders, uh, uh, or rather about elders in the church. We need to go to to the end of the of the chapter and see what is it that Paul's doing, and this is this is all we'll do today. We're just going to look at why. Uh, what is the purpose for Paul giving this this um, these this description of what elders should be? There's a reason and something that God's concerned about that He addresses in verse 14 and following. So let's pick up there and read verses 14 through 16. Paul says, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that, there's your answer, right? Why is he writing these things above? I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed by the, among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. All right, so what's Paul addressing? Paul's addressing the behavior of people within the body. It's significant that we choose leaders uh, that exemplify as closely as possible these characteristics uh, that, that uh, show the person of God, that demonstrate the power of God. It's so significant that that happens. Uh, Paul says, because I'm not going to be there to kind of encourage you and support you and push you through and to hold you accountable. So it's important that you understand how people should act within the household of God. And so that's what we're talking about today. Some Christians, uh, when you talk about the household of God, think you're talking about this building today. You know, when we talk about the church or the household of God, we're talking about a building. And household sounds like a building, but it's not used that way in Scripture. Paul doesn't uh, teach uh, that way in Scripture. When he talks about the household of God or the body of, of Christ, uh, and uh, even when he talks about a dwelling place for God, he's talking about the people of God. God dwells in us. We are his dwelling place. It's the people of God. How we should act together in the, in the world. How should the church, the body of Christ, the dwelling place of God, the household of God, how should we act in, the, in, uh, in this world, in the context of the world? 
in Ephesians 2, 22, Paul uses this same terminology, and he uses it in a way that makes it clear. He says, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place. He's talking about every believer being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So a dwelling place is people being built together. He wasn't talking about bricks and stone or martyr. He was talking about people. In 1 Peter, Peter says the same, uses the same kind of terminology when he uses the household of God. In verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, he says, if, if For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. All right? Now, that doesn't necessarily mean people, but the next statement shows that he does. He says, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So the household of God, first of all, is not a building. Uh, the household of God is not a, a, a place where the church comes together. The household of God is literally the church united, the church corporate, the church uh, as individuals, parts of the body separated during the week, the, the church in, in, uh, in your neighborhood, uh, which is you and Christ in you and us together doing something in your neighborhood, represented by you in your workplace, the church in the workplace is us in your workplace. And so Paul's very concerned about, again, the message and, and that it stays the same because that message is, is God dwelling in us. It's God moving his, his truth into the world around us. So the truth or, or the household of God is us. We are authentic, a consistent manifestations of God's presence. I chose all those words carefully. We are authentic, first of all. We, this needs to be who we are, not how we act. Everybody get that? It's not that you try to act like a Christian when you're in the world. It's not that you try to represent the church by trying your very best to use our language when you're out in the world, in the workplace, in your neighborhoods. It needs to be authentic. This needs to be coming from our heart, which Paul's going to talk about here in a minute. It needs to be who we are, not just what we, what we uh, try to represent or how we act. It needs to be who we are, authentic. It needs to be consistent. We need to be consistent manifestations of God, of the presence of God. We need to be, uh, who, the only way we're going to be consistent is if we're authentic. If you're trying to act like a Christian, then you're not going to be consistent, right? If you're just acting, how many of you have tried to do what you think the church wants you to do? And then you fail, you fail, you fail, you fail. And you feel like miserable failures and you're guilty and that whole cycle. And then we rededicate our lives to God and we try again and we get hard. We try a little harder. That's, that is not a manifestation of the presence of God. The manifestation of the presence of God is authentic and is consistent. It stays with you all day long. doesn't mean you don't fail, but when you fail, you, you recognize it. You're not living a double lifestyle. And then manifestations of God's presence, authentic, consistent manifestations. You are not showing yourself in the world. We are representatives of God. We are his dwelling place. And so God's desire is that we would, 
we would represent him uh, through authentic, consistent manifestations that, that God is seen in us, that people look at us and say, I know that's not you that just did that because I know what people do. Something's going on with you. It's a manifestation of God. And they see it the next day, too, because it's a consistent manifestation. And because it's in your heart to be that way. And God's changing you from the inside out. And so all you're doing as far as working, you work on the manifestations of God. You try hard to join God by putting away sin, by putting on the armor. But basically all we're doing is we are training our bodies to do what our spirit already wants to do. Okay, that's an authentic, consistent manifestation of God's presence. That is the church of the living God. He describes it in another term here. He says, not only are we uh, the, um, let me get back to the text here. He says that we are the household of God, but he further describes it by saying, which is the church of the living God. So that description I just gave is another description. We are the church. But whose church? We're the church of the living God. We are people, authentic, consistent manifestations of God, a body belonging to God. And then he further describes what that does. What is a church of the living God? Who are people who are authentic, consistent manifestations of God's presence? What does that look like? He says we are pillars of the truth. We're a body bringing truth to the world. We are a buttress uh, of truth, which is uh, uh, pillars are things that you know what they are, the big supports for a building. Uh, we are that. We are supporting. Uh, by definition, pillars support and maintain things. And so Paul is cons- consistently saying to Timothy, I need some, some people, some men in the church that will be overseers, uh, who will watch and make sure that the church and the truth particularly uh, is held on to, it's maintained, that truth is supported. Somebody's out there saying, no, we stand for truth and that our foundation is truth, that everything that we build at the gathering place and everything that we live uh, in this community is, is, has a foundation in the truth. All right, so pillars and a buttress of truth. You know, I think, thought of it this week as I was studying that. I thought about the, the three pigs, you know, and, and blowing the houses down. Uh, and how, how easily some, how some, some of us, some of our churches, some of our lives are really, because they're not based on the truth, because we're not building our foundations uh, or building our lives upon the foundation of the truth about who Christ is and what he's done and the grace of God and the character of God. We're building it on ideas of men, and we're building it on, on uh, success strategies, and we're building it on business strategies. That's what we're doing nowadays. And the church is an entity. It's no longer people who are representative of God's, of, of the person of God coming together. Uh, man, those are all made of sticks. You just blow, and the enemy, the, the, the lion instead of the wolf, just blows, and they fall down. But we need to have this foundation. We need to be, you need to be, a pillar of truth. 
built on a foundation of truth. It needs to be solid. So then what is the truth? He defines it right after that. He goes on after that to say, uh, great indeed, uh, talking about the truth, he says, what is the truth and what are we pillars of or buttresses of? He says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Here it is. Here's the truth. It's this mystery of godliness that's been revealed to us as believers. You want to know what it is? It's Christ was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the Spirit. In other words, the Spirit was moving and working in his life, manifesting himself in Christ's life in such a way that everybody knew uh, that he was God. Uh, he was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. So he talks about Christ is the foundation, the truth. Just the simple gospel message it, that's found in Christ is what we need to be holding on to. Uh, we need to be careful to constantly be coming back to that. It's so easy. Uh, look, I've spent most of my ministry preaching things that were not part of the, of the foundational gospel. It's so easy to get off on trying to get people to act right. It's so easy for me to just say, you know, you guys are angry as a whole. A lot of you are angry, and the problem is you need to pull that, get that anger out of your life. So get busy. Get it done. Quit being angry people, right, instead of, no, Christ is the answer. Keep your eyes focused on him. Look at him every day. Spend time with him every day. Develop a relationship with him. Read his word. Let his spirit manifest himself through his word in your life. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And when I preach on Sundays, if God convicts you about something, it's not me. It's the Holy Spirit convicting you, affirming for you that, that, that he's talking to you and speaking to you. So adjust your life to him. Uh, that's the life we're talking about. That's the simplicity of the gospel. All made available because Christ died in our place, paid for our sins. So our sins are no longer uh, held against us. And then he became our righteousness so that God looks at us and says, perfect. Not because of our actions or because of our performance, based on the righteousness of Christ. And we stand on that alone, not on our own goodness. And so that pillar of truth, that foundation of truth is what Paul is talking about. The problem with the church at Ephesus was that False teachers were saying, no, you have to do that, but also be circumcised. And don't forget all the feasts and all the festivals. Don't forget all the rules and regulations of the law that, we've, that you have learned traditionally through your forefathers. Those things need to stay alive. And, and Paul's saying, no. Stand against that. Stand in the face of that. Rebuke that and tell the people not to listen to it. And we live in a society community that does the same thing everybody's saying oh it's how you do church it's the methodologies it's the it's all the forms of worship and it's the styles of worship and it's the 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 type of version you use and the type of theology that you have all those things are the things that are significant and if you need to do it like this and and we've all grown up following the list of rules depending on your denomination and we have a number of different denominations you know in our past but it doesn't matter. They all had rules to follow. You do this list, and then you turn the page over, and on the back side is a good strong list of things you don't do, especially if you're Southern Baptist. We got our big list of things. Uh, so a legal-sized piece of paper on the front side, you got about five things that you do, and then you got about 105 things you don't do. 
and it's just dead, and there's no life in it. And, and so we still do that today. People are still doing that. And I'm trying desperately not to do that with you, to, to try and get convince you that you've got to live by a list of rules, of reg, regulations, that there's a list of things you can't do and a list of things you can do, and that that's what makes you a good Christian. All right, so is everybody hearing it this morning? Listen, I'm going to say it clearly. That is not what makes you a good Christian. Christ is the only good Christian. He's the only one. And God looks at him and and praise God for that. He doesn't look at our actions and judge us based on that. We are not condemned. The righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in those of us who have received Christ and received his imputed righteousness. That's good news for us today, but that's the truth. And so when, when Paul starts and when we start talking about uh, qualifications for elders, what we need to recognize is that those qualifications for elders comes from a foundation of truth, which is the gospel. And we need to constantly remind ourselves, read books, read Romans, read Galatians to constantly remind ourselves because of the culture we've grown up in that grace is what God is all about. And that's where actions, our actions come from. Our works come from a, from a foundation of grace. Now in chapter 3, verse 1, uh, let's go back. Now that we've kind of built the foundation uh, of why Paul said that. He said that because we need to be authentic, consistent messengers, uh, our manifestations of God's presence in the world, the household of God. We need to know how to act if we really have an authentic relationship with God that, and he is changing us, what does that look like? What does it look like when God grabs a hold of us? Like he says in verse 1, he says, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of elder, he desires a noble task. Aspires, that word in the Greek means to eagerly, eagerly desire to accomplish some goal or purpose, to strive to attain. And he goes on to say that he desires a noble task. That word desires means stretching towards something with all of my energy. Okay, I'm going to stop there, make sure everybody's alert and awake before we talk about this. Okay, everything that we just did to set this thing up and and the things that we're going to talk about behind it, it, it requires that we understand this idea of aspiration and desire. In, in the original language and, and the, the kind of feeling that there is tied to it. See, y'all ready? This is what he's talking about. This is the heart change. This is the authenticity of actions, of the actions of a Christian believer who is showing Christ in his life. This is it. It's all founded in, has God changed my heart in such a way that I... I, I've got to live for God. I've got to do it. I've got to please him. I've got to, to be all that he would want me to be. I want to know him through obedience in such a deep way that I am stretching with all of my energies towards this idea of being obedient to Christ. That's the aspiration. We're not talking about somebody that just haphazardly says, hey, you know, I think it would be cool to be an elder. No, it's people that are stretching towards that, that are moving towards that, are excited about it, that are, that are giving all their energy and, and, and aspiration to that. It's a challenge for the existing elders. I've been challenged by looking at that. Am I really 
stretching with all of my energy toward these, these goals, toward these qualifications that must be evident in some form in my life? Am I stretching toward those? And are you stretching toward those? Is this part of your life, or is it, is, is, do you aspire to walk with God, to live with God, to be God's, God's servant in the world, to lead people to, to know God? Do you aspire towards that, stretching toward it with all of your energy? He says, if anyone desires or aspires to the office of overseer. So when we start talking about elders, we're going to be talking about uh, not necessarily people that just want to attain a position of eldership. Um, in most churches, when you vote on elders, or you vote on deacons anyway, you know, uh, most elder-led churches are not in places that have a congregational government in any way. And so they're just appointed. But, you know, the Bible says to choose from among you men who are in Titus, and he describes the same characteristics. So we believe that that's a command for us to allow you to be a part of this process. And so when we start looking at who wants to be an elder or an overseer, or anybody's going to be a leader in the church, here's typically what happens in most churches. It's the person that has the most money. And we want to be in leadership so that are the, mo- the people that have the most money. So we want them to be in leadership because you know what that means. It means we don't have to worry about the offering plate on Sunday mornings, and the pastor doesn't have to worry about his salary uh, from Sunday to Sunday because there's going to be plenty of money in there, right? So a lot of times it's the person that gives the most money. And, and it's also the, typically a person or the people who have been there the longest. I mean, we paid for this building. Why shouldn't I be in leadership? That's the idea or concept, but we didn't pay for this building, but... God did, or will, still working on it. But, you know, people that have been in the church the longest, they've been there. You know, I was here when my, when my dad, uh, uh, when my grandpa was here, they started the church, and I've been here ever since, and I've been tithing ever since I was, uh, you know, getting an allowance from my mama. So, you know, I've been putting money in this church. We made decisions, and we had those building programs to build this building, and I've been putting money in, and I pledged this big amount. And we scraped and we sacrificed and we built this building. And this is our church. And so I deserve to be in leadership. And it's hard as a pastor. I can tell you, if you walk into that situation, it's hard for you as a pastor to say, yeah, but you know what? None of that matters. (laughs) It doesn't matter how much money you have or how long you've been here. That's not even in the, the list of characteristics. It doesn't say, you know. And, and, and an overseer should be, must be someone who's been at the church for a long time and has more money than the rest of the people. Those things are not in there. Thank God, or I wouldn't be an elder, right? So, you know, the things that we typically use to, dis- to decide who's going to be an elder, it doesn't have to be a nice guy, all right? It doesn't say elders have to be nice guys in the sense of uh, that they can't stand up for themselves or or that they have, if there's a popularity contest that everybody in the church will say, you know, definitely that one. When we started the gathering place, our first uh, round of elder election uh, was a fiasco that God had to fix. Uh, the, church, the church was reacting to some bad experiences with the former pastor, and so they were not going to let that happen again, so they were going to take leadership, and they wrote this constitution and bylaws 
that was just so specific. And we're never going to do that again. We just let people, uh, we had just let people decide who was going to be elders. Well, so what we decided to do is only people that are really committed, the ones that come to life groups on Sunday morning, will have an opportunity to, to uh, give us a, a recommendation for elders. And the same thing happened. It was a popularity contest in every class. And it was some of the least qualified people I've ever seen in my life. And I'm just thinking, why? It's because they were nice guys. Because they were funny. They had a lot of jokes, you know. And they knew how to tell them well. And I love them too. They're great people. But that, that's not a qualification of an elder. It's not just a likable person. Uh, you know, eldership is not based on, on those kinds of things. And that those, are the, those are the ways that we've made decisions in the past. It's not the, listen to this. It's not the person with the most theology. Just because somebody has a degree from the seminary doesn't mean that they should be an elder in a church. Now, that might sound a little confusing to you, but I'm telling you, I should not have been an elder in a church when I finished my Ph.D. at the seminary. I should not have been. I was not spiritually at a place where I was pursuing and stretching toward and aspiring to be uh, all these things. I was in it for myself and getting what I could out of it. It's not that guy necessarily. Now, all those things can be good. Everybody get that? Say, oh, yeah. You realize I'm not saying those are bad things. It doesn't have to be a good leader. You know, somebody that stands before a congregation is a natural-born leader, has an eye-type personality, life of the party, stands up, and people automatically follow. Matter of fact, a lot of times that's a, a hindrance and not a help. So when we look at these qualifications of an overseer, <clears throat> we need to recognize <coughs> that these are people who are stretching toward a likeness to God with all that they have. I, first of all, challenge Aaron. I challenge uh, Jeff and myself to be those people, to be stretching towards God with all that we have. We have miserably failed, and we'll continue to because we are human, but we, are, we need to be stretching toward stretching toward, giving every effort that we have towards being those things that, that God desires to, to be, which is God, Christ in us, Christ in us, manifesting himself in the community. And our elders need to be the people that show that, that they have an aspiration and desire to be an overseer. Overseer, by definition, I'll make it easy. We're just going to say it this way. It's different from a deacon, which we'll cover later, a deacon is, is a servant uh, who really is, is to, to be a, a great help to an overseer and serves families and nurtures and takes care of people. An overseer is a servant and also a leader. A God-called servant and leader. Servant leadership is what an elder is supposed to be. Not someone who lords over people, but someone who serves people, who gives, who loves, who, uh, but also leads, makes the hard decisions, gets before God, finds out what God's will is for the body, shepherds the flock, doesn't allow one to go off and just write them off. But when one starts to go away, pursues, helps, leads, soothes, ministers to, all, right, all those terms, pastor, overseer, uh, elder, bishop, all have the same kind of, of meaning. And that is a servant leader, somebody that can lead. So a deacon, in a lot of Baptist churches, deacons are the leaders. 
uh, and, and it may be that those are biblical leaders. They just call the wrong thing, okay? And I think in some churches that I've served in, there were definitely some, the deacons were the elders. Uh, but a deacon is just a servant. He doesn't have to worry about the, the leadership aspect, or she doesn't have to worry about that, the leadership aspect. They are in a position of servanthood, but an elder is responsible for feeding, for nurturing, for overseeing and taking care of and protecting. And so Paul is writing to Timothy as an overseer or elder in the church at Ephesus. He has been entrusted with the duty and the call by God. It was represented by the laying on of hands that he is called by God and, and recognized as being a leader, not just a servant. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, Paul says this about overseers or leaders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So the first thing an elder has to do is is check himself. He needs to be watching over himself, paying careful attention to himself, and then also with that for the, for the church of God. That is, those little authentic, consistent manifestations of God's character in the community. He needs to take care of them as well and watch over them. So if anyone aspires to that office, if you want to stretch towards the office of overseer, listen, you desire a noble task. It's a praiseworthy task because it's a, it's a heavy requirement. Again, I think we have just kind of fallen into this as a church, and, and we need to be existing elders. As existing elders, we need to be checking ourselves. But then as we bring more elders on, we need to be careful to make sure we are pursuing this kind of elder, someone who is stretching towards uh, an obedience to Christ and an authentic, consistent manifest, being an authentic, consistent manifestation of the glory of God. Now, what does that look like? We'll talk about that next week. All right, we'll start talking about it next week. What does it look like when someone is stretching towards this authentic, consistent manifestation of God in their lives? What kind of ways does God manifest himself in those kind of men. And so we'll be asking that question about people and the men in the church, but we'll also be asking that question about ourselves. Are we? Are we stretching toward that? Are we stretching to be that? Uh, Know this. Another reason why he says that this is a noble task is because elders in the the early church, and in Ephesus particularly, were under a lot of, of persecution. You know, we're missing an element here that, that, that is not helping us to take this, this passage seriously. But if your life was about to be threatened as you take the role of elder, if you knew that you were going to be persecuted because you represent and take care of those people that are despised by the people in the community, then it helps you to understand that this is a noble task. That if you have a love for God that's deep enough, that's driving you, that you have a heart for God that's so full and so wants to please him and to be with him and to let him be seen in your life, that you're willing to, to take, step into a position that means you will be persecuted by the people in the community. Now we're starting to get a little bit of a feel 
for what it means to aspire to the position of elder and how that's, the des that's desiring a noble task. That's praiseworthy by anybody in the house of God. If you are a Christian, you sh that's a praiseworthy task. If you can find anybody that in the face of persecution and, and, and even certain death are going to pursue looking like God in the community that despises him and taking care of people who want to be that way, that's a noble task. So as we pray this morning, I ask you to think about your life first. Just, just pause for a minute, and we'll worship here in just a second. Now pause for a minute and take a look at your life. And just ask the question today, based on what we've been talking about this morning. First of all, is the gospel what your life is about? Is that what motivates you? According to our mission statement, we say that that is our motivation. It's the gospel and character of God. But have you gotten off task a little bit maybe with that? You just confess that to the Lord. I guess the big question for all of us today that probably is on our, on our minds is are we authentic, consistent manifestations of God's presence in the world where we live? Are you an authentic, consistent manifestation of the church to which you belong? We are a body belonging to God, bringing truth into the world. And if not, would you just ask God to make that happen in your heart? To put in your heart a desire to, to be that. And then ask him also to speak uh, and give you a, as we go through this series, to give you a stronger desire each week to, to have these characteristics in your life. Would you pray and ask him to do that? We want to stand on the truth alone here. We don't want to stand on anything else. And as we start thinking about leadership, would you pray that God would give us as elders the people that we need to, to be considering and would confirm that in your heart and that they would be people who aspire not to have power or position or status, or whatever else might come with that position, but that they would desire to pursue God with everything that they are, stretching toward God with all their efforts. Servants and leaders in our, in our uh, body desperately need that. Father, I pray for that today. Uh, you've spoken and given us some good things to think about for this week. And I, I pray that, Lord, as we begin to consider uh, these characteristics of elders, of people who, uh, who might would fit this role, what, is it, what it looks like, that first of all, God, we would deal with our hearts, that you would deal with our hearts and show us today, Lord, where we fall short. And then just, Lord, even if it's because we're just determined 
uh, God, help us to, to read your word this week and pray, even if it doesn't, we don't feel it, to do it till we feel it, and then make it real in us. Father, I love you and thank you that you are patient with me and the, with the leaders and the elders of this church. And Father, we, uh, we renew our commitment to this, to pursuing you with everything that we are. And keep training us. We need it. Lord, we worship you.